0: 99.9% of people that we've encountered in the last 20 plus years of doing this, who say they're modeling success are not modeling the right things. In fact, most people who are successful at doing something, if you ask them what it is that they're doing, they'll tell you something that isn't true. Not that they want to lie to you if they themselves don't know.
1: Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best Ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know, Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going.
2: Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Theo Hicks. And today, we'll be speaking with Marks Acosta Rubio. Marks, how are you doing today?
0: Doing great, Theo. How are you, my friend?
2: I'm doing great as well. Thanks for asking. And Marx is a repeat guest. So we'll be doing a skill set Sunday today, and we're gonna talk about well a lot of things. But we're first gonna talk about how he was able to make twenty million dollars using cold calling, and then hopefully dive into some other topics as well. But that's where we're gonna start. But before we get into that, we're gonna talk about Marx's background again. So he's the CEO of One Stop, which generates thirty plus million dollars in revenue each year. He lost his entire fortune and had to rebuild it for a second time. He's based in South Lake, Texas, and you can say hi to him at his podcast, Steps to Success. All right, Marks, do you mind telling us a little bit more about your background and then what you're focused on today, Uh, and then we'll move into the Skill Set Sunday?
0: Fantastic. So the background is born in Caracas, Venezuela, came here in 1977. I'm 50, happily married to my beautiful wife for 32 years, three kids, 22, 2018. And to show that our stuff works, my 22-year-old has a company that's worth $10 million right now with biodegradable plastic, which is kind of cool called Neptune. And our 20 year old is going back to serving a mission and our 18 year old who's on America's Got Talent is headed off to college, will be empty nesters. And life is grand, not without challenges obviously, but it's fun.
2: Thanks for sharing that. So we've got how you made $10 million twice. So a total of $20 million by cold calling using your Mark's success selling system. So you might first maybe giving us the steps of the Mark's Success Selling System and then you can tell us the story about these two $10 million deals?
0: So I don't know that we call it the Mark's Success Selling System, but I think that's what Ashley sent your way. It's really the Success System That Never Fails, which I stole from a book written by W. Clement Stone, or the title anyway is The Success System That Never Fails. It was $10 million the first time, then I lost it, and then $20 million the second time. And it's all based on cold calling. And it was cold calling the most exciting, incredible product in the world, which is toner cartridge. And if you don't know what a toner cartridge is, it's just like toilet paper. Nobody really cares unless either A, you need it and don't have any, or it breaks in your hand when you're using it. So we had to figure out how do we go to market? How do we beat Staples? How do we beat all these other companies at the time? This was back in 1994. And we had no marketing experience, no ability to go out to market with lots of dollars. So we started cold calling. Now, I didn't invent it. I did improve it. And then along the way, I was working for a company, got fired, started One Stop, and read every book, attended every seminar, and through of trial and error, figured out what worked for me. And then when I hired the first employee, who at the time was also, I didn't know about a drug addict. This is not the guy who was addicted to crack. That's a different guy. And I thought, hey, man, we can do this together. And he had no idea what to do. So I kind of showed him what I was doing. And then I realized that what I had uncovered wasn't necessarily common knowledge. It was very uncommon the way I did it. So I put together a little sort of training manual and over the years. We, I wouldn't say perfected it, right, Theo, but we made it better. And then you know a system works when you can duplicate it with somebody else. Meaning if you do it and you're amazing at it because you're just this gargantuan, super talented individual and then you show me and I can't produce the same results, then it's just you being fantastic. But if my dummy self can do at least somewhat as good as you, maybe 70, 80% as good as you, you know, the system works. So we kept getting it to individuals who weren't necessarily, you know, when you're selling toner cartridges via the phone, you're not attracting, I don't mean this to be disparaging, the top of the top MBAs, super smart people. You're getting those who want to be actors and musicians and they don't have much ambition in life and just kind of sort of end the job. And if you rely on them on their base talent and skill, you won't go very far as a company. But if you can bring them in and show them a system and plug them in and have it work and produce somewhat the same results, then you're on target. So we did that. And then we made Inc. 500 Fastest Going Company List and Inc. 3000, blah, blah, blah. And then I made some terrible business decisions, just horrendous. And I learned that you're only one, two or three moves away from greatness or disaster. Lost it all and then had to rebuild it. But this time we did a little bit different and we built it virtual, but using the same selling system with a few modifications that we had before. And I also made some changes how we manage individuals because I hated managing people. So we cut that out.
2: Perfect. So do you mind telling us what the system is? What did you give to these musicians and actors that they were the top tier cartridge sellers?
0: So to give you an idea before, the top producer of my company was making about a half million dollars a year. His name is Eric Landon. He was the crack addict. He broke all records. And most people were making three, four 400000 a year, but he was at 500000 And he did it interestingly way. But the system, it's not that complicated. It's like most things, simplicity is elegance and beauty. It consists of intricate pieces that are presentations, overrides, stalling questions, closes, and flow charts. And then also certain six steps, which are not difficult to explain, but it will take more than 30 minutes to explain each step because if I just give you the run that it won't be helpful. So what happens is most people wing it when they do sales. And if you look back at NCR and then IBM and all these companies and W. Stone, all these guys, they had presentations and we've gotten away from that. People are like, oh, consultative selling and that stuff doesn't work. In fact, the guy who held the most sold houses, I think still holds a record, Tom Hopkins, to learn from Jay Edwards, I think Jay Edwards Deming was, learned to actually have everything memorized and pre-scripted. Because like an actor or an actress, when you're confronted with a situation, you don't want to have to think about what do you say next. You want to have the lines pre-written and then how the delivery shows up. So we had that, but then we had language patterns inside of it, using phonetic ambiguities and a bunch of other cool language patterns to get the individual involved in the presentation so that they decide to make the purchase versus feeling like we're pressuring them, right? Because you've got these two schools of thought. One is sort of the used car salesman, push, 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 push. And then you've got the other one just kind of, well, I'm going to consult you and you're going to make your own mind. And neither of them actually work. We define selling as getting someone to take action, no matter what it is. So if you don't get them to actually do something, then you're not persuading them. And then we boil it down to even further saying, look, people make decisions based on the five Fs. Fear, fight, flight, fornicate, and feed. So when you hit the reptilian brain, the amygdala, then there's an impetus to take action. But you can't do it externally. You have to build it internally. And this is where people confuse persuading with consultative sales. So the system really invokes on, first of all, you got to make sure it's the right thing for them, right? Because you can never really get someone to do something that isn't good for them, or at least you shouldn't, because that's unethical. But so long as your product is good and you think it's the best thing for them, then it's your duty, like a doctor and a patient, to give them the medicine or do what's best for them so they can then make an informed decision. So the system's is pretty simple, right? It's presentation. On override, we define as someone has an objection, we call a knee-jerk reaction, and then you basically answer it. And you have three of those memorized, if you would, and we use what's called the cha-cha-cha one, two, three system which I was so terrified of sales, This was all phone sales when I first started, terrified of sales that I literally had to invent the one, two, three system. And this is going to sound super stupid and silly, but I'm going to share it with you anyway, that they would give an objection, thumb to the pinky. And then I would override, well, that's no problem, Bob, blah, blah, blah. And I would touch my thumb to my ring finger. And then I would touch my thumb to my middle finger. And that implied I had to close one, two, three. Because I had read a while ago, this is many decades ago. Most human beings don't make a decision until you've asked them at least five times, which is why people try to say, you've got to visit them five times, you've got to have five interactions, blah, blah, blah. Well, my impatient self, I can't wait to have five phone calls. I need to eat. I got to make the sale. So what if I ask them eight times? And I'm going to ask why I came up with eight, just a random number for the order. They said two things. One, it got them to give me the real objection, which is never what they tell you. And two is it gave me sort of the impetus to understand that human beings usually don't make a decision right off the bat. And it's our job to get them there. Now, not by persuading in terms of pushing them, come on, bye, 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 but asking questions and leading them gently, yet with a directive focus as to where they want to go. I know I'm babbling, so give me a minute. When I started this, I had given my first employees all the stuff that I had written out for myself and they were doing okay. But one thing I noticed was when they were on the phone, the prospect would say something and they would just sort of go on this rabbit trail in this random path. And I was like, where are you going? And it took me a minute, and I say a minute, a couple of years to realize that I had a certain flow chart. If this, then this. If not this, then this in my mind. So I wrote that down on a piece of paper, right? three flow charts, one for new accounts, one for reorders. And I said, look, guys, this is what you need to do. So box one is make reception feel good. If you don't do that, you can't go to box two and so forth and so on. And these are the four questions we must ask in order to go and make the presentation. If you don't get the answer to those four questions, you can't make the presentation. And what it forced them to do was when the prospect wanted to go off on a different tandem, if you would, or tangent, they would say, well, okay, that's no problem. And they would bring them back into that box because they couldn't go to the next box until they had that box checked. And this revolutionized my business and it made them significantly more effective. So think about it, if you're producing X and a simple thing like a floor truck gets you to X times two, it's a huge impact, right? Then we realized, as this was going along, that some people were giving up. Because remember, it's cold calling to get the new account and you have to basically maintain that account and grow it. But the cold calling is the most difficult part. So we realized these guys were maybe closing but not closing eight times so they were getting lazy so i invented the number sheet which is a sheet that says 200 phone calls a day 20 presentations each one you got to ask for the order eight times and then we started seeing ratios and then that increased our sales and our profitability even more. So eventually we sort of put all this thing together, which is more elaborate than I'm describing because there are a lot of moving pieces, particularly language patterns, right, Theo? When you use the word now, if you use what's called the phonetic ambiguity, meaning you tie it to the end of a sentence, the beginning of a new sentence, it sends the sort of subconscious command or suggestion to a subconscious mind to do something. So anyway, long story short, you got to create the language patterns that also help people make better decisions, if that makes any sense. That was a lot, huh?
2: That was a lot. Let me ask one follow-up question really quick because I missed. So we got presentation, overrides, stalling questions, and then I got closing. But I know I missed one. What was that one that I missed? The overrides? Sorry, I think there's five steps. There's presentation, overrides, stalling questions, and then something that I missed, and then closing. What was that thing that I missed?
0: Oh, no. There's six steps to the selling process. Six steps. Okay. I missed two of them. Right. The six-step selling process is different than the system itself.
2: Okay. Was it just those four? Presentation, overrides, stalling questions, and closing?
0: And flowcharts,
2: flowcharts. Okay, there you go. Flowcharts
0: and the number Perfect. sheet. So you have the number sheet of the flowchart. You've got presentation, stalling questions, overrides and closes.
2: Okay, and then so this is different than the actual selling process itself, which is another six steps. Correct. All right, let's go to that then.
0: Uh, <laughs> go. <laughs> well, I think the six steps are going to vary depending on who you ask. So I don't think they're going to be too valuable for your audience. But things like getting them engaged in the offer getting them to say no. This is really, honestly, it's more than 50 minutes that we have. But I'll give you one piece, right? And this was popularized by a book by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. But it really goes back to a neurolinguistic program back from the 1970s. And then Harvard talked about. So this a lot where you don't want people to say yes to your offer because you'll get fake yeses. So we knew 20 plus years ago that we wanted the no. For two reasons. One, psychologically, you teach your salesperson that you want them to say no or not yes, which alleviates the fear of getting them to say no because it's all about get the yes, get the yes, get the yes. No, you don't want the yes. You always want the no's. That's what one. And the second thing is it makes the prospect feel more in control, which we've talked about and Chris expands on his book. So we focus on always getting them to say no because we believe, and we've taught this to a bunch of other companies too, the sales process doesn't start until they say no. And if you read all the old negotiation books by the greats of the greats of the greats, they'll tell you, always ask for more than you expect to get. all this other stuff, right? Which basically leads to getting people to say no. Here's, I think, the big takeaway, right, on having a system, is that you cannot win your way to success when it comes to sales. And what we've experienced, what we've seen and done helped other companies, You can't, you have to create a system because when you have a system, you can modify it, you can tweak it, you can track it, you can improve it, and also gets you to feel like you succeed every day. Because see, if you have a goal to make a certain income every day and you don't achieve it in yourself, well, boy, I'm a failure. And maybe you are by definition. But if you have a system and you apply the system and you get better, even if you don't make any money that day, but you know you've applied the system, you feel like a success. So we realized that, and this is a whole different conversation, and managing salespeople, which is very unique and very different to do, we needed symbols, rituals, magic, all kinds of stuff, just like anthropologists will tell you you build a society that's effective or the military or religions. In order to do that, we had to give them a feeling of empowerment. And in order to do that, you have to make them feel like they succeed. So they don't go back to work because it feels fantastic. They go back to work because they have an environment where they feel empowered and they feel in control and they see progress. And all of this sort of evolved over decades. But the idea is to create a system that works for you, that has a template so that you can apply it. And if you look, Jim Rohn, who's one of my mentors and favorite people of all time, said, Success is nothing more than a few simple disciplines practiced every day. And if you look at W. Clement Stone, if you look at all the greats of the greats who started this personal growth development system, along with Napoleon Hill, of course, was the genesis of it, really it's about systems. They call them habits now and all this marketing blog to sell books is really stupid, but it really is creating systems, if that makes any sense.
2: It totally does. So last question, you tell people, I need to create a system. You've got your system of presentation over, stalling install question, flowcharts, number sheet closing. Is this like a word document? Is it a PDF? Is this like a own custom software that you use? And then based on how I answer that, if I myself want to go out there or a listener wants to go out there and take the system that I have in my mind that I want to follow every single day, how should I actually create that in the, in the real world? Is it me making a PowerPoint presentation? Do I have a bunch of post-it notes? Do I off a piece of paper how does that actually look in reality
0: got it okay so great question and i hope i can answer in the time we have left so number one is for us it's both pdf and it's in the software system or crm but if i was to print it it's probably 150 pages all said and done because you're talking about for example just on the overrides if somebody says to you you know your price is too high you need three pre-written pre-memorized responses and then at least a dozen closes that you can move for, right? So some people say, well, just say compared to what? Okay, you can use that, but what about two more? So when you have a presentation, the presentation might be long, it might be short, you have a flow chart, each one is about one sheet, and you end up having two or three different flow charts. So for us, it's about 150 documents, we have it all over the place. How do you create your own success selling system? Well, I think if you want us to help you with it, just email Ashley, A-S-H-E-L-Y at callmarks.com. And I'm dyslexic, so I hope I got that right. A-S-H-L-E-Y at callmarks.com. And we'll give you some tools and trips and takes it so we don't take up time here. But how do you do it in the real world? Okay, so this is what's really interesting. So I'm 50, and I've been pretty healthy most of my life. And I almost died April 13th. And I went to what's called DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis. I had no idea what that was, but I was peeing every couple hours. I was lethargic. I looked like a walking zombie. It just was not good. Tested my blood sugar, ended up being in the ICU, hospital for three days. Basically, I'm what's called a type 1 diabetic, which is when your pancreas is attacked by your white blood cells, so it doesn't make insulin. So I'll be on insulin for the rest of my life. So, of course, that freaks me out, but I read every book in the last 30 days on diabetes, found the world's two best doctors, and created a spreadsheet. And so now I monitor my blood sugar every hour, And I see how diet and how insulin and how how exercise affect me. So I can try to get to that 83 and have a flat 83 consistently. So when you create a system, you have to look at what metrics are important and what moves those metrics. So for us in selling, we realized that connections was a metric. How many times you close was a metric, right? The number of phone calls you made was a metric. And then also language and the attitude by which the salesperson spoke was a metric. So once we understood that those are the metrics we wanted to change, we thought, well, what changes those things? And how do we change that? So if you're going to create a system for real estate, you said, what are the metrics that matter to you? Is it knocking on doors? Is it sending Facebook posts? I don't know, right? And you find out those six, seven, eight, nine, 10 things, hopefully six, give or take a few, that matter. And then you go, what factors make those numbers change? And then you iterate. Or if you're really smart, you find somebody who's already succeeded at it, in your industry or, or another industry, and then you copy them while you get your metrics together. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I like that. The copying thing is is a huge in real estate. I'm sure it's really big in selling too. People are already doing what you want to be and performing at a level you want to be at. So I really appreciate you sharing that system with us and how to do it. But there's ourselves. a caveat, real quick,
0: you. There's, there's sure, a caveat ahead. with that with modeling. So modeling became popular with John Grinder and Richard Banner from Neuro Linguistic Program. And then Tony Robbins made it super popular, right? And if you haven't heard of Tony Robbins in real estate, then you've been living under a rock, right? Because he's sort of a granddaddy of all this seminar type stuff. But here's the problem. 99.9% of people that we've encountered in the last 20 plus years of doing this, who say they're modeling success are not modeling the right things. In fact, most people who are successful at doing something, if you ask them what it is that they're doing, they'll tell you something that isn't true. Not that they want to lie to you. It's that they themselves don't know. Case in point, Elon Musk says that if you want to be very successful, you have got to work 80 hours a week. Well, that's not true. Because if hard work alone made you successful, then the ditch digger who works 80 hours a week would be a billionaire. So we say thank you, Elon, for letting us know what you believe, but you're not necessarily eliciting the proper strategies that you may have what makes you successful. So the challenge for me early on was, hey, I was really good at this on the phone. Remind you, I'm dyslexic. English is my second language. I speak way too fast, right? So I was not destined. And I'm an introvert. Like, I don't like people. Stick me with a book. I'm good. So I had to sort of elicit. What am I really doing? And it took a minute. And I say a minute, it took a long time to figure out. So be very careful because if we apply the 80-20 principle, and there's a great book coming out there by a good friend of mine, Richard Koch, Richard Koch wrote The 80-20 Principle and a bunch of other books. He's got a book coming out called Unreasonable Success in August. Recommend to everybody. It's a great book. Richard himself is worth a half a billion dollars, by the way, and he works one hour a day. I think he's 67 now, has three houses. Anyway, if you look at The eighty twenty Principle, you realize the majority of things are trivial, and we have not disassociated effort from reward in society. We think we work really hard, therefore we make a lot of money, and that's not entirely true because in that hard work, if we take the data 20 principle, a few factors of what Durant called the vital few, 20% or less, will account for most. So you're busy doing all this stuff, but you haven't yet extrapolated what really moves the needle. Where is really the leverage? So this is the biggest caveat I'll give you because when you model success or you look at your own success, what you've done in the past, you really do need to think. And you have to say, well, is that really true? And you have to then test it. So for us, we knew, right, because we had been at this for years and years, and we've gone into a bunch of different companies and individuals, and it's not hard for us to do because we've been doing it forever, but that is the caveat, because I don't want people out there modeling or mimicking somebody and then taking all of what they are doing, and they're not getting the same results because they're missing out what it is. Bruce Lee said, absorb what is useful, discard what is useless, and add specifically your own. Jim Rohn said, whatever you do, make sure it's product of your own conclusion, be a student, not a follower. So be very, very careful and be very selective as to what it is you think it does it for them. So for me, in all of this, it was applying the system, but it really was the language patterns that I used. And then everything else involved around those language patterns. Because I would, as an example, say something to a client and they would laugh and think it was really cute and funny. And my very first employee, I named Chuck Fletcher, would say it and they would call me to complain about what he said. Same words. But how they were put together was sort of this big aha. Mm-hmm. So I had to teach them how to say it. Anyway, I'm trying to give you a lot in a short period of time. And I'm sorry for rambling, but I want to have that caveat as a disclaimer.
2: No, no, no. I think uh, what you're calling it, rambling is very powerful. You're saying a lot of things that I never thought of before. And, and this is definitely going to be worth a re listen on my part. And I'm sure best of listeners feel the exact same way, Mark. So again, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I could tell we could probably talk about this for multiple days on end, the amount of information you have from your background.
0: It really is a great, interesting, fun topic. And you know what I feel? Most people, unfortunately, who are in the business of selling books and motivational programs and stuff, especially when it comes to sales and real estate, are doing a disservice to the community. And that's what sort of the me to start the Step to Success podcast is. I want to interview guys who I know who are really wealthy and successful and happy and share things that really work. They may not be famous authors. They may be, I don't know, but... It's challenging. If you look in the real estate field, I guarantee you the top of the top of the top in real estate, whether it's investment, whether it's construction, whether it's development, whether it's sales, they do something very different. But the majority of people who try to emulate them lose on sight of what it is that they do that's different. And it may be as simple as internal dialogue. It may be as simple as how they talk to themselves. Paul and Helena's book, Thinking Go Rich, gave us 13 steps later, 17 steps and he said the brain was like a receiving station and a sending station. He really thought about vibration. We've now scientifically proved it to be true with sympathetic resonance and mirror neurons and all this stuff. And Napoleon Hill knew, in fact, Emerson knew it before Napoleon, the Bible knew before how the brain functions. So it may be that this person has a different thought that consumes them, and then they use the reticular activating system to find opportunities. So it's a new nuance that is challenging, but once you get it, it's very easy to discern those who are successful for you, emulate them.
2: Absolutely. So guys, make sure you check out his podcast, Steps to Success podcast, to learn more about what he was just talking about. All right, Mark, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Best of listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.
0: Thanks, Theo.
1: Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you looking to earn passive income through turnkey rental properties? If so, then go check out hipsterinvestments.com. Allie Boone's the founder of Hipster Investments. It's a aesthetically pleasing website and you'll know what I mean when you go check it out. I just love the color palette. In addition to that though, Allie has some wonderful content on both passive investing through turnkey rental properties as well as how to design your life. Go to hipsterinvestments.com.